What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? It would be a good. <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's going well. It's going really well. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Emma. And I'm Jamie. And today we're joined by an author illustrator who really sticks out. Mr. Paul <laughs> Coomey. Art director at Wonderbly and writer of Stick Boy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm very <laughs> it's great well. Great to thank have you. you. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I guess, sort of, start with I mean, I absolutely love the humor that is running through Stick Boy. And I'm interested to know how long this idea has been in the works for. Um, is it something that you've always had a passion to write? uh no (laughs) (laughs) very honest (laughs) no it came it came about in a in a a kind of a funny way really um it's kind of a it's kind of a convoluted story but when Mm. i i used to work at a company called little tiger and one of the things we did there because we were a small company we used to come up with ideas for books in-house rather than waiting for um agents to send us pitches uh, and the reason we did this is because we were able to sort of determine what we wanted rather than waiting for stuff to come in. And it's, right. it's not that usual of a process. Usually the agents will send some amazing story and everybody will get excited and then everybody would bid and then it would go for like a crazy advance. But we, we realized that we had, we had the talent in-house to come up with the, with the ideas for stories. Uh, and mm-hmm. I got involved in that as well. Um, everybody was involved in it. And I realized that I was pretty handy at it because a lot of the ideas I came up with are no books. And one of the ideas was Stick Boy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted somebody to write and draw it because I thought for a story like this where the the central character is um, like so sort of visually distinct, you want someone who can carry that in their head while they're writing as well as draw the pictures. So the way the process yeah. would have worked is that we'd, pit, we'd contact some authors that we love or illustrators and we'd say, okay, here's the character, here's the scenario. Can you expand? Can you build this world and make it into like, make it into a book? We'll give you the, mm-hmm. the kind of the skeleton, the structure and you run with it. And so I tried that and I contacted people I knew and I was like, oh, this is, a, this is an idea I have. Could you, could you like... I was going to say, put some flesh on the bones. That sounds really weird. <laughs> Could you like build it into something else? And, yeah. and I struggled. I couldn't find someone who was A, available. Like there's not a lot of author illustrators out there. And the good ones are always like 
fully booked. Uh, mm. So one of the directors at the company, Lauren, who's now the publisher there, she said, why don't you have a crack at it? Uh, and I said, okay. But I hadn't really written anything um, for a very long time. I think I was like a passionate writer in, in primary school. So up until like sixth class, which is I think year six here, uh, the year before secondary school, I was like, I was writing all the time. We did a load of creative writing in the school I was in. Uh, mm. But then when I went to secondary school, it kind of disappeared. Like I was surprised. I remember feeling surprised that writing wasn't part of English education, like English language yeah. education in school. Uh, and then I kind of got distracted by other things, you know, as a teenager. And then at university, <laughs> I was real. I, re- I did English at uni and uh, I it was the same there. There wasn't a creative writing outlet. So I didn't really write at all, like a few little kind of nonfiction things and a bit of reportage and stuff. But then when I was about like three or four, four, five years ago, um, I came out of a very long relationship and I found myself with like tons of time on my hands. And one of the things I was doing, because I'd read about people like writing on their phone on the way to work. So one morning on my phone, I was like, all right, I'll give it a crack, see how it goes. And I started writing and I started like pouring like stuff onto onto the page. It's not a page really, it's your phone. But I started like just, just writing stuff. It didn't matter. And everyone who has ever said anything about writing says it doesn't matter what you write. It really doesn't matter as long as you're writing. And I kind of took this to heart. So I, I did it. I just wrote and it was rubbish. It was just absolute <laughs> pits, like stuff that will never see the light of day. <laughs> Oh, I want to garbage. see these notes, literally. Oh my god, they, Emma, they are the they are the worst. They're, no one will ever read them. But no. what it did, it was really like cathartic. I was able to, and I, I've worked with people since. Like, um, I did a bit of mentorship, mentoring, mentor something with uh, with someone uh, last year before lockdown. Um, so the year before, actually, and we talked about like she's 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 got some like writing chops, but she isn't ever she isn't really like passionate about being published because writing for her is a catharsis it's like this way of like getting everything out and getting it on the page um and i found like in this process that i really enjoyed it so when lawrence has said lawrence said like why don't you have a crack at it i said yeah i will have a crack at it so i went away and i wrote um three chapters without any sort of plot or plan I just wrote whatever came into my head with this character, putting from based on what my idea was about this this kid who's stick boy, who's a who's a kid who's there's, there's some key things about him. One of them is that he's because he's so simplified that that is that's kind of that's a that's a deliberate thing. The reason he's so simple is because I wonder, I realized that all a lot of the stories I was coming up with, story ideas at Little Tiger were about the idea that it's okay to be yourself, and then the the idea that stems from that about like the reasons why people don't aren't sort of presenting themselves as themselves is yeah. sort of to do with other people's impressions of them. And then this mm. this led to the me thinking about like people hiding themselves. Then I thought about what would it be like if you weren't able to hide what you were feeling? If it really was, your feelings were like written on your face. So with stick, like he's his physical appearance comes from that. He's so stripped back that when he's nervous, he goes all wobbly and you can see it. And when he's when he's mm-hmm. like filled with knots of dread, you see the knots of dread, like he's all tangled up. Yeah. So right. that that those things are sort of connected in a way. And then using that as a kind of starting point, I just kind of the, the, you know, when you write you kind of ask questions. So if if this kid existed in a street in a world and somebody else saw him, 
what would they do? Like, how would they react? Um, so I went for the most extreme reaction, which was someone like going, oi, and like chasing him. And that's how the book begins. <laughs> yeah. And then he, she, Sam chases stick and then there's an encounter. And then I was like, well, what's going on in Sam's world? Who else is there? And it really just built up like in little stages about like adding people to the situation. And then I found like someone who was a foil to Sam and Gretchen, someone who like lends him a hand in chapter one. And then he meets more people in chapter two and chapter three. And then I presented this to the publisher and they were like, yeah, this is great. We'll pay you to write this. And I was like, brilliant. Where do I sign? Sound. And Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a really good opportunity. Like, and I was, I just grabbed it with both hands. That's great. I mean, so would you say when you were writing Stick Boy um, that you were influenced a lot by, you know, the illustrations rather than the text first, or was it the other way around? Did you, you know, tackle the text first and then come up with the the um the strip backed character that you were just describing there uh he came first so it's a sort of a back and forth stick very Mm -hmm. much came first like he came out of that idea of what does it look like when you're the only one who can't hide their feelings that's sort of that's kind of it in a nutshell really like everybody else is able to like just keep their mouth shut but stick really struggles he can't if he's nervous you see it uh, and when he's when he's shy, he shrinks a bit and you see it. So he doesn't have that advantage that, that the rest of the kids have in like hiding how they feel. Um, so he definitely came first. But then after I'd written the first couple of chapters, I realized quite quickly that you have to write the book before you draw it. Um, I don't know how it is for other people who do both. I think, I don't know, maybe for picture books, it could be different. But I think for like young illustrated fiction or even I suppose this is young middle grade, like eight plus stuff. Um, I think the story has to has to lead the way, but but the story itself is informed by his difference, his sort of him being like the odd one out that and that's in that's in my mind when I'm writing it. So when I was writing book two, you know, his his physicality is, is a part of it. And there's this kind of metaphor of him like falling apart and then literally falling apart. Those kind of gags are 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 linked to his character. But I think the story of him as, as he navigates his way through the first year of, of second level education, I suppose he goes into year seven and he has to kind of find his way. That's really the story um, yeah. and how he does that. But, but it it's all linked to how, to who he is as a, as a character in, in sort of in the physical sense. <laughs> yeah. As a stick, as a stick. As a kid, stick. stick yeah. Um, and, you know, you talked about maybe book two going into that in a, a, a bit more depth do you have future plans to continue a series um further um i have a story but mm-hmm. i don't have a contract so i've got a contract for two books uh and that okay. was based off the first three chapters which is kind of unusual i know now from having spoken with agents that most publishing deals will happen once you've written a book so it it's probably sort of depends on the success of stick of book one so mm-hmm. it's been out in the world for a couple of months we're in this we're in this you know we're in a pandemic bookshops pandemic, aren't open yeah. so everything's got to go sort of digitally or like i suppose there'll be sales with like book um sort of school events and stuff where there'll be like pack bundles of sales or i'll try and get it into libraries and stuff but really i think for most series to develop further than two books unless they're like a really stellar thing and you've got like huge interest and maybe um i don't know what what there's loads of factors it's complex isn't it but in my particular situation the the reality is if the first book does really well 
uh, say if it sells out of its initial print run. And the second book maybe gets some international interest, so maybe foreign publishers want to translate it, then it's very likely that there'll be a, at least a third book. Um, mm. Like a, a good number for a series for international sort of appeal is probably six, because a lot of international publishers won't take a series of less than four because they want okay. to sort of do a, a good bit of promotion on the early books. And then that sort of keeps the the interest buoyant for, for a series of four. But um, the answer is, I don't know. I've written the second book. I'm in the middle of, of illustrating it. And I'm going to be finished the illustrations in on the 9th of May. <laughs> I have a day-by-day schedule of drawings <laughs> finished on the 9th of May. And then oh. after that, I'll, I'll think about other other things if there isn't a third, um, if there isn't a third stick book. The, the, the whole process takes about a year. So it takes about a year because I work as well. It takes about a year to to write and draw. So this mm. last year I wrote between April and December with breaks, obviously for like edits and, and sort of reflection, I suppose as well, like look, taking a break from the text and coming back to it. Uh, yeah. And then I've been drawing since December and I finished drawing in May. Um, so if there was to be another stick book in sort of January, 2023, I would need to start writing sort of this summer. Oh, okay. Um, so you've really yeah. got to plan ahead with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if, I think if I was just writing, then I could probably, I would probably have a bigger output. And the other thing as well, like that we didn't kind of get right this time around was that the drawing schedule overlapped with the publication of the first book. So there's a lot okay. to do around publication. Yeah. I had no idea. I, had, I hadn't a clue, but I found myself on Twitter, on Instagram, um, messaging people, emailing people, visiting bookshops. Uh, and then I got COVID, <laughs> so I couldn't do anything on the launch day, but I was no. on, I was like sitting on, on my laptop, like tweeting and Instagramming and, you know, yeah. learning how to, to actually make a story and all that. And, well, that's, that social media has become such a core part of being an author nowadays. You're like Definitely. promoting yourself in many ways, isn't it? Yeah. The Especially other thing an about I imagine. Uh, I, su- I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I don't post that much in terms of work in progress or wow. illustration on my Instagram. Um, the reason being, you can look at the illustration on, on my website, you can read chapter one and, and sort of get a real taste of, of what's in the book. But I think yeah. as I as I go through, once I get to like the color stage of the drawings for book two, I will start doing like process videos and things like that because I think they're fun. I really love watching other people's. So I think people might get a kick out of mine, but you have to be, I have to find one I'm really happy to share because a lot of <laughs> yeah. it is quite scribbly until it's finished. Like um, how did you... Um... How did you find the editing process as an illustrator, author? I found it really hard. Emma, like at the first the first round of edits, I I got really grumpy. <laughs> Ruth sent me the edits and I was like, I don't believe yeah. this. It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. It's not and then and what I was really and done? then my wife was like Tandy, my wife was like, Paul, I couldn't read your first draft because it was so long and rambly. <laughs> it's just like you had way too many words. But it was a huge cut. It was a big cut. I think the original oh, wow. draft was like 40 something thousand words and the finished book is like 32. So it's a little bit on the, the slightly long for like younger middle grade. But I think, mm. you know, it sort of barrels along from about page 100. Once you once you know the world and the people, the action kind of kicks off. Uh, yeah. and, and obviously it's got pictures, so it's punctuated by by this kind of uh, my favorite new word, which is paratextual, like the things that aren't the words. Ooh, it's punctuated by that. So it becomes like a, 
yeah and, and it's something i remember from being a kid you know when you read like i i kind of i didn't really remember the sense of enjoyment of short chapters and more and chapters with more images in that yeah. they felt they felt like kind of like a little treat so i kind of <laughs> i tried to bring that into my own books but the process was like i tell you what it was it was it was a, it was an education like i really learned a lot from the first round of edits because i went into the book like i was saying i wrote the first three chapters without knowing what was going to happen and then i wrote the first draft and i still hadn't fully figured out what who who the bad people were and who the good people were and who the in-betweens were and that had to come out in the second draft and that was difficult um mm. and i think i learned from that that you can't you i mean some people can like you just they come up they, they start, sit down and write and the book evolves and it sort of becomes this beautiful thing and everyone's got an arc and there's there's a bit of a payoff and mm. just you know a tea party at the end and everyone <laughs> and it ticks goes home happy yeah, yeah it, and it does all those things but i when i was doing the second book i i i remembered the, the torture of trying to find a plot when you'd already written the book <laughs> and like making it all yeah. kind of connect so there was a lot more planning went into the second one um in terms of plot and then and then that made it much easier to write because i wasn't sitting like staring into space trying to think well how do i connect this to that instead i was able to really enjoy like putting the characters in the scene and getting them to interact with each other based on what i knew of what was what had to happen and that was a joy like i really love once i know where they have to be like at the end of the chapter or the next morning and i know who's who needs to be in the scene to move the to move on the the plot then then writing their dialogue and writing their interactions is is so much fun like i really love that part of like having the kids sit around the table just gassing like having a little <laughs> bit of a chit chat and like you know like poking fun at each other and 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 winding each other up and and you know they all have like it's a very sort of cartoon world so they all have straightforward character traits and then bouncing those off each other in a little group it's so it's so much fun to write um and often that's most fun to read as well those sequences i hope so yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh there are a few favorites like but but yeah i think you know y- you yeah i think that thing about you know giving them like that that particular thing about their personality enables you to easily make them react to each other and push each other's buttons in a way that makes it feel like like there's a sort of i mean without getting too technical about it there's a kind of consistency to it then you know that someone's going to be the voice of reason you know that someone's going to be say something out of the blue and yeah. you 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 become familiar with that as you read the book and then hopefully by the time you get to book two even though it, you read it it's set up to read as a standalone you if you've read book one you'll realize you'll get you'll you'll remember their personalities from book one and you you'll feel mm-hmm. more familiar with them from an er, from a very early stage even though they will be introduced in the same graphic way as they are in the first book with sort of arrows that highlight their defining features which is one of the shortcuts yeah, I'm most I love proud of. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's great. It's just such a great shortcut. <laughs> it's great. It really well. is. You don't have it's to. It's brilliant. Here they are. Yeah. Yeah, really good. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, we could go back a bit and talk about your, you, you mentioned earlier, you work, you do work full time at a company called Wonderbly. Yes. And just for the listeners, do you want to give a quick overview as to what it is Wonderbly does, as it's not your traditional sort of bookshop publisher? No, it's very much a digital bookshop. And uh, the books are, every book is unique. They're personalized. 
So we are our kind of overall um, value proposition is to inspire boundless self-belief in every child. That's the bottom line. Oh. So every book is you, you choose a book and you put in your, your kid's name and then you choose a little avatar of them to represent them on the page. Uh, and then you go on a journey. And a lot of our books, you, you, you make a choice as to what that journey is. Uh, and then you've got those sort of inputs make each book, you know, personal. Um, mm. And then underneath it all is the idea that seeing yourself on the page is empowering. You know, this yeah. idea of there are plenty of books out there where people, plenty of people out there can't pick up a book and find themselves in it. But it was with one. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Literally picture books you can put any child in the book. Uh, and we're even, we're pushing it further. We have a choice of different avatars, like rep visual representations of the kids that you put in the book. At the moment, we're expanding that. And I think we're going to have like over a hundred by the end of the year so that you oh, wow. can really kind of uh, choose enough attributes to get you really, really close to your child. We're not, we're not saying you can replicate your child on the page, but you can make them look so much like your child that they'll think it's them and that's that's a, that's the goal and not they to look exclude great. anybody Emma and they I look were great. having a yeah. look at the website before and, and we thought oh we we should get one yeah. well not only for our family and friends we wanted to get one for the podcast with us yeah we were like I want you one can? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah maybe maybe that's my cake because you can put both of you in it and if you put in your oh. dates of birth you get loads of like whizzy stuff that is loads of fun <laughs> um yeah so they look good. great they're, they're the stories are, are really fun they're, they're well written when you get them they're such high quality as well it's ridiculous they're re i mean they're not cheap you know they're they're more expensive mm. than than a regular yeah. picture book but you get a personalized book with, with just you for just for you with your name and your face in it um <laughs> yeah it's lovely it's a great it's a great place to work as well it's like really small there's only, um, I think there are less than 10 of us in the story studio team, which is the team, which is the team that creates the books. Um, yeah, so it's quite, it's quite intimate. And your intimate role process. is uh, art director. Yeah, at so at, in the story studio. So we have a different art director for the website and for our marketing material. So photo shoots and stuff, I don't do. I just do the whatever goes on the page. So my job is to uh, speak with the illustrators and the book designers um, and kind of support mm. both of those people into doing their best work. So to make sure they have everything they need. And then if they're looking for direction, it's a lot of it is conversations about how we turn the turn the story into pictures. Um, yeah. Like describing pictures in words is a really it's like it's almost like a fool's errand because the picture is already communicating so much. Um, but we well, the goal is to get this kind of really visceral and this kind of applies to my own work as well like to get this kind of you want to you want to you want to elicit like a visceral emotional response in the reader you want them to turn the page and look at the picture and go oh or ah or oh no or something <laughs> yeah. they, they need to yeah. like they need to respond and, and and engendering that care and that 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 kind of wishes in the reader for the character's success is all to, is all bound up in how you present the characters on the page and not just the characters but the world they're in all of that is is sort of 
not designed to convey the emotion, but my role is to 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 make sure that the the illustrator is like fully involved in in what we're trying to communicate and that mm-hmm. they're in a position where they can bring their own experience and understanding of that kind of communication to the page. Like my job isn't to tell people what to, to draw. My job is to make sure they have everything they need to communicate the story. That Oh my God, that's pretty good actually. Um, <laughs> that's, kind, that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't get in their way, but make sure that they, that they're fully supported to do their best work. And, and my, my real, my fervent hope is that every time I do a book with somebody, they've learned something that they didn't already know. Um, and yeah. where that comes from, I don't know. It could be, it could come from a phone call or like some messages or them scribbling something and then me scribbling something and, and passing it back and forth. I don't know. But yeah, but it's all about this kind of cumulative learning of, of how to how to connect with the, with the readers and the children, like yeah. in a in that vis, in that through that visual means of communication. Because the words yeah, are doing one right. thing and the pictures are doing the, doing something else. They're never going to do the same thing. And if if the words and the pictures are doing the same thing, then that's really questionable because yeah. one of them is redundant then. So the, with right. the picture book, and I think this is a well-known thing, like with a picture book, there's a sort of, there's almost like an idea that if you take one of them away, you can't read the story because both of them are, are, are contributing to a third thing, which is the telling of the story. Um, but without yeah. overlapping. Yeah. yeah i mean they can a bit but they what they i feel like it depends it depends as well like on the on the age of the thing like if it's very young storytelling yes the pictures and the words could say the same thing it's like you know um jamie's got a football and in the in the picture jamie's got a football but as you get a little bit more sophisticated you can you can take it away and you can say jamie's at play and you've still got a football but you don't have to tell the reader that because they can yeah. Yeah. they can get that information from the image so it's about that sort of interplay and like wh- who's doing which of the things is doing more of the communication at different points in the story, depending on what you're trying mm-hmm. to say. But in your role, you the, even though you are an illustrator, you don't do any illustration in that role. Am I right in thinking? No, no. I'm, as an illustrator, I'm very inexperienced. So I wouldn't have the the skill to, to work on a wonderful book. There, the picture book illustration is, is, a, is a vast... Um, a vast area that doesn't make any sense visual book <laughs> illustration a myriad of styles and approaches i haven't done enough illustration to consider doing anything like that um okay. yeah. the the style the strip back style that i have in in stick boy is probably the at the moment anyway at least the limit of my talents um <laughs> there's a very straightforward representation of of children they have that very simple and and invariable outline it's like it's like a marker pen um, mm. their expressions are very legible and that's deliberate. I want the book to be accessible. I want, I don't want anybody to pick it up and be put off by, by not knowing how people are feeling by how they look on the page. But for, for most of the book, it's like joy, worry, anger, uh, perhaps sadness appears. Stick is definitely sad and confusion. There's not like, um, I'm trying to think of a more subtle expression. Uh, <laughs> vague on we we don't have that like okay. they're, they're kind of clear clear and direct so there's there isn't where you know there's there's a thing in 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 storytelling where you want the reader to fill in the gaps a little bit so they bring themselves to the story and yeah. in stick i don't do that in the drawings really i do it in the writing so mm-hmm. not everything is expressed like there there are plenty of questions left unanswered and that's for you as the reader to go oh yeah, I wonder what happened to that guy. Or that's weird. He said that. And then, but it's never answered. That's deliberate. Like, I don't want to give it all away. I want there to be a little bit of like 
fuzziness around the edges like you're you're not sure like what the connection is between uh stick's dad and stick's teacher it's never fully explained obviously we never find out why stick is a stick boy um but you can do that in in your drawings as well but i chose not to uh because mm. i wanted yeah on first glance when a when a reader of any experience picks it up in a shop i want them to go oh yeah i could read this book that's yeah, the goal yeah, yeah. there and i think you know in other in other settings there are plenty of hyper sophisticated uh picture books for example that mm. leave loads to the imagination and they look beautiful but they're not necessarily telling a straight story yeah. Um, yeah. and in many ways stick is a fairly straight story you know it's about a boy who who feels left out who feels different he and he also in this case looks different but it's <laughs> it's about like be yourself and you'll find your tribe yeah and, and that's what stick learns yeah. that's brilliant and just going back to um you as an art director and interesting for me and and some listeners as well that you as an art director don't necessarily have to be you know um perfectly well versed in being able to do the art yourself what was your career path into that role like i know you worked at uh little tiger press which is the publisher that you are publishing with as well but where did you start in terms of getting into the industry um, I started uh, about, a, about a couple of years after I moved to the to the UK. Um, I did. I, I always wanted. Here's this is gas. I always wanted to work <laughs> in publishing. This sounds really like straightforward. But when I was a kid, I absolutely loved reading. I devoured every book that was available. Like I went to people's houses, knocked on doors to see if they had books that I could read, and some of them did. Like, and when I I was say I said already, but when I, I kind of moved away from that the creative expressive side of of writing and of reading when i got to secondary school and through university i did an english degree uh, i was well versed in critical practice but mm-hmm. that but I, there was a point where i couldn't pick up a book uh without like parsing it without like starting to pick it apart and like yeah. apply i don't know baudrillard's theory of postmodernism or whatever to the text <laughs> but when i when i got to the point like i i'm i'm extremely privileged like i went to university in ireland in a time when um when university education was free my first year of university i paid like 300 pounds in fees and when i by the time i got to my master's it was a bit it was a bit more but i i got a maintenance grant i got a free postgraduate degree everybody so was entitled to one free postgraduate degree and i applied for one in the university i was in because i love the town i love the people the, in um in literature and publishing and which was a kind of a split between more of uh take and postmodernism <laughs> uh <laughs> roland barth and practical publishing skills which was great i really loved it um and i came out of it uh with every intention of working in publishing and found that there was nowhere to work in ireland um, so then I went to America and did a bit of teaching there. And then I went to Australia and did a bit of, you know, the usual Australian Irish, Irish people go to Australia and work on farms. We do it. Everyone does it. Oh, and then oh yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, British people thing. do it as oh, well, though. Sort of thing, they yeah. do it as well. Yeah, yeah they, true. They go and, over there. They German just want to be in the sun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great crack, but I'm, I I couldn't pick melons for a living. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I moved to 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 london and i tried to get a job in publishing here because this is london you know london oxford bristol bath cambridge and no thankfully there's with um Eshet's move to the north i can't remember where they are manchester maybe it's, it's spreading outside but london was a the place then uh came here 
couldn't find a job in publishing, worked in a pub for a couple of years, literally like got the phone book, started looking. This was 15 <laughs> years ago when we had phone books. Uh, yeah. Started looking for um, for publishers to apply to on spec without applying through like job ads. Got a role in a production department. And at the time I was volunteering in a bookshop in, um, uh, I don't know, near Oxford Street, uh, an Oxfam bookshop. There was a woman working there who was working at Anvil Press. And she said, don't apply for editorial jobs. Everybody does. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. She said, apply for a job or look for a job in like a production department or sales or something. And then mm-hmm. you can like get a feel for the industry. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I did. That's good and advice. then as soon as I started, it was brilliant advice. Because yeah. when you're when you're in that, when you're in that, like getting in the door at like 16,000 pounds a year, you can move around. You can't, yeah. you can go like, oh, well, there's another, there's a 17,000 pound job over there. Maybe I'll go for that. Exactly. Um, so it worked in, yeah, it, and, it, and it, it worked for me. Um, so I worked for, I didn't have to intern, which is that, that terrible thing that was happening there for a couple of years where you work for free. I didn't have to do that, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was making, I think I was on, I can't remember what the pub money was. It was just above minimum wage, but I was able to pay my rent. So got the job in Quarto as a production assistant, worked there for a year and a half, and then saw that I did not want to work in editorial because I could see what the editors were doing, realized I wanted to work in design because up until then, I probably didn't know what the design department did. I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's that, cool. This is fun. Like, make it <laughs> yeah. look good on the page. Yeah, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went to St. Martin's then to do like a three-month course with a guy called Oliver Klimple, uh, who runs an international design, graphic design studio called Bureau International, great name. Uh, he was really <laughs> inspirational and a really like, you know, I think it, I can't remember how long it was. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was three months. It was like one evening a week and you learn all the fundamentals of graphic design because we didn't have a lot of that in our course at university. It was mm-hmm. more about uh marketing demographics and editorial approach and all that so then uh with armed with this and a bit of like i don't care if people say no i started asking (laughs) around and i and i got a drop job because there was somebody leaving a company said oh the art director there needs help why don't you get in touch with him so i did and the guy's name is david bennett he still runs a company called boxer books and i worked there for a couple of years can't remember maybe two or three and that was great. And I really cut my teeth there. I learned how to create picture books. And I worked with someone who'd been in the industry for years. He'd worked at Walker Books. He was there when Where's Wally started. Uh, and that was a real education. But it was like doing everything, like typesetting, scanning artwork, retouching artwork, talking to illustrators, like just a really, really rich creative environment. And from there, I went to Simon & Schuster uh working on novelty books this was after the crash where things everything was contracting mm, um right. worked on novelty books worked on spongebob and dora it was fun it's and there SpongeBob, uh Yay. spongebob is so good i remember one week so i made good. like 15 spongebob covers <laughs> what a joy um, i just so, love gary the snail i'm just gary. here for him like gary <laughs> oh, who thinks he's gary. a cat or something isn't it he just like meows <laughs> so i'm just like it's the greatest thing ever <laughs> yeah it's, it's it was amazing. it was really good fun and but because they were multi they they designed boxer was just picture books but at Simon schuster it was everything so got to work on fiction and i really really love working in fiction so i did picture books and novelty there but fiction i started sort of doing covers for young adults because this was the initial young adult boom. So it was kind of around the time of Fifty Shades where there was young adult, there was new adults. Everybody wanted to be publishing young adults because, they're, oh my yeah. gosh, teenagers read. Let's get them some yeah. books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got to like 
do loads of cover design. And then I got to work with Jamie Littler on uh, Hamish and the World Stoppers. And that was that was a massive moment for me because the book, Danny Wallace wrote it, Jamie illustrated it. It was one of the very first books, I think, where I got to have like a real say in who we got to draw the pictures. And I pushed mm. for us to use Jamie because I re- I'd loved his work since I saw him at the, the Macmillan um, degree show competition thing. Uh, he's he's brilliant. He's he's like super super talented. No, of course he's doing his own work. He's doing he's writing and illustrating his own fantasy, which is absolutely outstanding. Um, but we worked together on that book, and we threw everything at that book. We we every single bit of that book is like is full of stuff. Like there are two flip book elements. There's like secret codes. Everything is like. Um, I think there's about 95 different typefaces in it. We really pushed it and the results were, were it was really satisfying to work on. And the book looks, really stands up today as well. Um, and from there, I kind of did more and more young fiction. And then I went to work at Little Tiger because they were looking for someone to do maternity cover. But I worked with Simon Schuster for five years. So I had, I had a long time to learn. And I worked with some great art directors like Neil Roberts. And then, yeah, from... from yeah, from from Stripes. Then I think I think the thing with Stripes was that I I really loved um, working there, they, but only working on uh, young fiction. Then for I think I was there for three years, working on young fiction, and then I think that doing the sort of creating the idea stuff that we were doing, and then coming up with Stick Boy, that kind of gave me a bit a little bit of itchy feet a bit. So I was like, oh, well, I've, I've kind of idea of like, well, I could go further. Like, is there more is there more to a, an art director's role when you can be involved in creating the stories? And then this role um, came up at Wonderplay and someone gave me a call and said, do you want, have you seen this? Do you want to have a look? So I did. And they invited me in and we had a chat. And the thing about Wonderplay is we have a small creative studio, but we're all involved in creating the books. Everything comes from oh, in-house. That's great. So it's a sort of the same process that we were trying out at, at Little Tiger it is literally the way the books are created at Wonderbly. We come up with mm. ideas and then we explore them. We workshop them and we turn them upside down and we inside out and we sample some illustrators and we sample some writers and we put those things together and we, you know, come up with a cover design and we show it to some readers and we yeah. we kind of thrash it out and we see well, what is what is the sort of the heart of this book and is it going to inspire boneless self-belief in a child? If it's doing those things, then we'll pursue it. We'll contract some more. So you all like work a lot kind of together and I guess like within the books and stuff, which is nice. I think um, as well on, on that point, if you if you like have any advice, like one piece of golden advice for anybody wanting to be an illustrator or or writer illustrator, what, what would your piece of advice be? Um, it's going to sound trite, maybe, but it's the <laughs> same piece of advice that I follow myself. Draw more and write more. And yeah. it, it literally doesn't matter what you draw or what you write. Uh, and to tie in with that, and this is a fairly common piece of advice as well, I would say. And and it sounds a bit like a cliche, but the thing about cliches is they're often cliches because they're true, is you don't have to have an idea. You don't have to have an idea to write. You don't have to have a good idea. All you have to have is the, the desire to write. So if I, if I don't have something to draw, I, I'll draw or start to write or to draw. I'll write a conversation between two people but it doesn't matter like there, there doesn't have to be like a, a an original book idea in there i think if you're i think that that the, the idea that you should have an original book idea in order to write it can get in the way 
Like, mm. if you want to write, like, like I was doing when I was writing on my phone, I wasn't writing anything in particular. I would just start writing. And there's a real yeah. freedom in that. Like, it, it unties you from the editing process. Because I think if you're writing and you think this has to be an idea, that's a form of editing. And mm. editing and writing are not, are not the same process. And I think they should be kept in different rooms. They should be locked, <laughs> one should be locked away while the other is happening. Yeah, yeah, I know that. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. And for our um, our final question, if you were to be marooned on a desert island, um, which one book would you like to be with you? <laughs> oh my God, this is going to sound really pretentious because I saw this question <laughs> and I was like, I know the answer. It was going to sound really bad. I would like a notebook because a notebook, I think yes. yeah, if around. I had a notebook right you could like you could remember the goods if you were stuck there indefinitely with like an infinite notebook you could <laughs> remember the stories now. you loved yeah it's a magic notebook that's the book I want the <laughs> magic notebook. that's exactly right Jamie it's a magic notebook so if, if I had a magic notebook I could write the stories I remember that I loved from memory and I could reread them but I could also write other stories and draw pictures this is actually the best creative answer. No, exactly. This is the best loophole. To keep up with everything that Paul's doing, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Kumi or on Instagram at Mr.Kumi. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.